Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson, welcoming you to the September 22nd edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show is brought to you by my title sponsor, and that is the Security Federal Bank. Security Federal has 17 locations between Columbia County, Georgia, and Columbia, South Carolina to serve you. They provide a variety of banking services to include investments, financial counseling, home loans, car loans, and basic banking services for families, individuals, organizations, churches, and businesses. So if you are in need of financial services, please remember that one of the best ways to support local matters is to support Security Federal. Also, the show is brought to you by Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, my management consulting firm. You can learn more about my services at my website, that is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. And I also have a Local Matters tab there where you can see or hear any of the episodes that I've done. You can share those with people in your networks uh, and you can let people know that Local Matters is here. Uh, as you know, I created this show over a year ago to better inform people in our community about services uh, and issues that are uh, discussed and decided upon by state and local governments. And today's show is no exception. Today's show is one of those where I uh, don't have a guest with me, but we're going to delve into uh, some of the more uh, important topics that have come to mind with me over the last few weeks. Uh, one of the benefits of having a podcast is it gives you an opportunity to really share uh, your thoughts and help people think through uh, things that are happening in our community. Um, as you know, there have been uh, a couple of appointments that have been made um, that really affect our quality of life. Uh, one of those is the appointment of a new Superior Court judge for our Augusta Judicial Circuit. Uh, that judge is Ms. Amanda Heath. Uh, she has served as a juvenile court judge for the last few years. I believe that she was the first African-American female to serve in that role. And now she is headed to the Superior Court, which is one of the highest courts in the state of Georgia. Uh, Superior Court hears felony cases. Uh, so they make a lot of decisions that uh, greatly impact the quality of public safety and uh, those individuals, the lives of those individuals who have to go before uh, Superior Court. Uh, that appointment was made by Governor Kemp. Um, then the next thing I want you to think about is um, a suspension decision that was made by Governor Kemp uh, with the advice and counsel of some other local elected officials in Georgia. 
Um, I'm sure that you all have read the news coverage or heard on TV uh, in regard to the now what was a vacant uh, commission seat for the Augusta Commission District 4. Um, Sammy Sias was suspended by the governor uh, and the governor actually had the right uh, to appoint, to fill that vacancy. Uh, the governor, uh, however, chose not to exercise that right and allowed the Augusta Commission to make a decision to fill that vacancy. And they did so by appointing former District 4 Commissioner Alvin Mason uh, to that seat. So that is an instance where the governor had the power to do something. He could have, but he made a decision to allow the local elected officials to decide who would work with them on that body. Uh, earlier, if you go back a few months, uh, the uh, governor also made a decision to appoint former state senator uh, and Burke County attorney uh, Jesse Stone to uh, the uh, Superior Court as well. And then if I think back a few months before, sometime before that, I believe, uh, the governor made the decision to appoint uh, Carlotta Sims Brown to the magistrate court after the uh, death of Judge Jennings. So if you catch this theme here, uh, the theme is that we have a governor who possesses a number of powers that have a tremendous impact on our quality of life by the fact that he has those appointment powers. And frankly, that got me to thinking. I said, well, gosh, if he can appoint judicial, make a judicial appointment, can also appoint other uh, people for other vacancies, remove someone from office and appoint someone else in, that, in the place of that person that he or she has removed, that governor's position has an awful lot of power. So today, what we're really gonna do is explore the powers of the officer of governor and office of governor. And we're going to uh, really uh, kind of think through and process how important it is that we make sound decisions when we have the opportunity to influence the process uh, by going into the booth to vote. Um, as I research for this, and you all know, I, I like to research because I want to bring you good information. Um, so as I research this, I wanted to first take a look at uh, the powers, not just the powers of the office, but who can even qualify to run for the office? Uh, who can decide to run for governor of Georgia? And it turns out, as I look at that, it includes just about all of us. Uh, who are listening today, says the governor must be at least 30 years old on the day that he or she assumes office and on the day he or she is elected has been a resident of Georgia for at least six years, an American citizen for at least 15 years. So theoretically, we could have a governor who is 30 years old and has only been in Georgia for six years. And that person can hold the top office in the state. I mean, I'm not sure it's ever happened, but you could have uh, someone who hasn't been in the state for very long uh, to have that 
top position in our government. In terms of taking a look at the meaning of that, um, it reads as follows. The, the state uh, constitution says that the governor of the state of Georgia is an elected constitutional officer, the head of the executive branch and the highest state office in Georgia. The governor is popularly elected every four years by a plurality, which is to say that the governor only has to get 50% of the vote plus one vote and is limited to two consecutive terms. No individual may again hold the office until four years later, at which is a single gubernatorial term has elapsed. So there you are. They are term limited, but if they serve eight years, in office, he or she would serve eight years in office, take one term off, he or she could run for office again and be Georgia's governor again. Also to think in terms of salary, of course, our tax dollars pay the annual salary of the governor. Here in the state of Georgia, the annual salary for that position is $175,000, making it the ninth highest salary among governors in the 50 states. The governor receives other compensation. There's a governor's mansion. Uh, there are other benefits that come along uh, with being the governor, um, insurance, travel, et cetera, et cetera. So being the chief executive has some perks. And while that salary doesn't seem very high, um, you look at 175,000, uh, the average US governor salary is 144,000 by comparison. That was based upon some statistics that I found a couple of years ago. Uh, but you also have to consider that the job is considered a public service uh, opportunity. So typically an executive who commands um, an organization that large with that many powers, uh, you would expect to make more. Uh, but uh, that 175000 is, as I said, above average for uh, governors in the United States. In terms of the powers of the office, uh, except as otherwise provided in the Constitution, before any bill or resolution shall become law, the governor shall have the right to review such bill or resolution intended to have the effect of law, which was passed by the General Assembly. The governor may veto, approve, or take no action on any such bill or resolution. In the event that the governor vetoes any such bill of resolution, the General Assembly may, by a two-thirds vote, override such veto as provided in Article 3 of the Constitution. Other powers include issuing writs of elections to fill all vacancies that may occur in the Senate and in the State House of Representatives. Also, at the beginning of each regular session and from time to time, time, the governor may give the General Assembly information on the state of the state and recommend to its consideration such measures as he or she may deem necessary or expedient. The governor may also convene the General Assembly in special session by proclamation, which may be amended by the governor prior to the convening of the special session or amended by the governor with the approval of three-fifths of the members of each house after the special session has convened, but no law shall be enacted at any such special session except those which relate to the purposes stated in the proclamation or in any amendment thereto. 
when any public office shall become vacant by death, resignation, or otherwise, the governor shall promptly fill such vacancy unless otherwise provided by this constitution or by law, and persons so appointed shall serve for the unexpired term unless otherwise provided by the constitution. Also, in the case of death or withdrawal of a person who received a majority of votes cast in an election for the offices of Secretary of State, Attorney General, State School Superintendent, Commissioner of Insurance, Commissioner of Agriculture, or Commissioner of Labor, the governor elected at the same election upon becoming governor shall have the power to fill such office by appointing, subject to the confirmation of the Senate, an individual to serve until the next general election or until a successor for the balance of the unexpired term shall have been elected and qualified. Finally, the governor also provides a state budget for the legislature to consider and appoints people to various boards and commissions, which then may select uh, those department heads that are running the various state departments. So if you put all of that together, you see that the governor's role is extremely powerful. In fact, it mirrors the powers of the president of the United States on a, on a national scale. So the governor on a statewide scale is basically what the president is on a national scale. So when we are going to the ballot booth to elect uh, a governor, we have to think beyond those basic qualifications. So when we talk about those qualifications of living in the state of Georgia for six years and being American citizen for 15 years, uh, that would seem like bare bones qualifications to serve in an office that has that much influence over who it is that provides services and meets out justice to us. The gubernatorial elections take place in uh, non-presidential years. They are mid-year elections in Georgia, which is to say that the last time we went to the polls to vote for governor was 2018, and we'll be going back in 2022. I took a look, as I always do, uh, to dig a little deeper, and I found out that our current governor, Governor Kemp, uh, received 1,978,408 votes. Okay, which is to say that almost 2 million people voted for our current governor. Uh, but when I look at the total population of the state of Georgia, uh, right now, uh, there are 10.7 million people estimated in the state of Georgia based upon the 2020 census. And the estimate is that in 2018, when the actual election took place, there were about 10.5 million Georgians. So we had 10.5 million Georgians at that time. Um, our number of registered voters was a little over 7 million. But guess what? Less than 4 million people actually voted for the governor in 2018. So Governor Kemp received 1,978,000. Our 
Uh, Stacey Abrams, the Democratic challenger, received 1,923,000. So she was about 55,000 votes short uh, of winning. Um, and then there was a Libertarian candidate, Mr. Ted Mitts, who received 37,000 votes. So you got a state with over 10 million people. And by the way, Georgia is now the eighth largest state in the United States. We now have over 10.7 million people. Back then, it was about 10.5 only 3.9 million folks went to vote. Um, again, in terms of us getting engaged, which is the point of Local Matters, uh, we have to think about how much power we are handing someone uh, when we go to the polls or when we fail to go to the polls. And then we will see, undoubtedly, we will see the consequences of that election by the sheer power that the governor has. You think about the power to review, approve, or veto legislation. You talk about proposing a budget for all of the state dollars that we make available through our taxes, fees, and uh, through uh, various services that are provided. Uh, we think about um, being able to propose legislation, being able to talk about where we are in the state from his or her own personal lens, um, that really has a tremendous influence on uh, what laws are passed or not passed, has a tremendous influence on where our state tax dollars go and how they're spent, and it has an influence on who the folks are that are gonna provide services to you and the approach and philosophy that they use to provide those services or in the case of the judicial appointments to mete out justice for the issues that you face. So uh, with that being said, last time in a presidential year in 2020, uh, we all got really excited and energized about going to the polls to cast uh, votes for uh, our senatorial and our presidential candidates. Um, but one other thing I want to point out is, guess what? When there was a Senate vacancy, who appointed uh, Kelly Leffler to the Senate? That was Governor Kemp. So the governor has appointment powers at the local level, at the statewide level, and even at the federal uh, level. Uh, for who represents Georgia. So uh, please keep that in mind when you go to the polls to make decisions about who you want to be your next governor. I made reference to the 2020 census and the results for the state of Georgia. I do want to share that with you again. I think it helps us get perspective on where we are. Uh, Georgia's population has grown substantially since the last census. In 2010, Georgia's population was 9.6 million. Now we're at 10.7. Uh, so we picked up an extra million people almost since uh, the last census. Also in terms of demographics, um, the number or the percentage of African-American residents in Georgia is roughly 32.6%. So we are almost exactly one third African-American. 
Um, if you look at non-Hispanic whites, about 52% in Georgia, you've got almost 10% now in terms of Hispanic population. Uh, you got over 2% mixed race uh, and over 4% Asian. So we are an increasingly diverse state here in Georgia uh, and diversity typically is a strength. So I feel good about that. Uh, one of the other things I'd like to point out about our state, however, uh, that I don't feel as good about, and that is the percentage of uh, poverty in Georgia. Unfortunately, Georgia still is among the states with the highest poverty rate. We came in over 13 percent. Um, and what I see in census data, I checked another source that said we're around 14 percent, uh, which would place us right around the top 10 states or, or states with the highest poverty rates or slightly outside of that, depending on what set of uh, statistics you take a look at. Um, poorest state in the country, unfortunately, Mississippi at 19.75%, almost 20% poverty for an entire state. Um, then you look at some of our neighboring states, Alabama at around 15 to 16%, South Carolina, 13 to 14%. Uh, so there are a number of states that are in the uh, over 12% range, which would place you among the poorest states. And the lowest states have single digit poverty, those states with the lowest percentage of uh, residents in poverty. So while there's some good news to celebrate with the census results and the amount of growth uh, that Georgia is experiencing uh, since the last census, uh, the bad news is that we have not gotten a grip on uh, our situation about how to pull our residents out of poverty. So uh, those are all things for us to think about and to be aware of and things for us to consider as uh, we think about who it is that we elect to represent us. You know, we need to ask those questions. You know, what, how, how do you feel about poverty? What's your plan to relieve or alleviate poverty in our state? And how then do you improve living conditions uh, for the people who are uh, with us? As you evaluate candidates, you should look at their platforms. Uh, what is it that they have in mind in terms of housing, healthcare, job training, education, uh, the various means by which people can get a leg up. While someone may be in poverty today, it does not mean that they have to be in that condition forever. And as you elect people, uh, please look to what it is that they say that they have to offer and what their perspective will be on lifting folks out of that condition. I say that in particular today about the office of governor uh, because that's my topic, uh, but I would also encourage you to do likewise for uh, people who are running for other state offices, state senate, state representatives, et cetera, because those folks also play a role in responding to what whatever policy proposals it is that the governor puts forth. So uh, if you look 
into scripture, which, you know, I do on this program occasionally. Uh, in Matthew chapter 26, uh, Jesus makes the statement that the poor we will have with you always, but you won't have me forever. Um, some people have taken that to mean that it's hopeless and that uh, there should not be any efforts made because uh, there are always going to be poor people. Other people take that as a clarion call to look at this in a different way. Um, there are plenty of other uh, biblical uh, teachings where uh, Jesus has healed the sick, he's helped the poor, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, if it is that we truly believe that what Jesus did sets an example for what we should do, I think we can put that into action by identifying political leadership that is going to act accordingly. The WWJD, what would Jesus do? Uh, let's look for, on my end, what I do is look for uh, elected officials who are going to try to act accordingly. Please plan to join us on Local Matters next week. My guest will be Reverend James Williams. He is the moderator of an organization called HOPE. It is H-O-P-E, Helping Our People Excel. This organization has been in the Augusta area for uh, a number of years, uh, over a decade, uh, and they have taken on a number of initiatives to improve the quality of life and uh, he's going to come in and talk about uh, some of the initiatives that they've undertaken over the years, as well as some of the things that they have planned in the future. Um, they are one of those organizations that uh, is uh, the members are all uh, local people in our community and hope uh, exists because they want to uh, ensure that our government is responsive to the people's needs and also want to do what they can as uh, stakeholders in our community to make sure uh, that uh, we advocate for ourselves. So Reverend James Williams will be with us next week. Please tune in. Uh, also, uh, for future shows. Uh, I have a few ideas, uh, but I always welcome you all to reach out to me. Uh, several of you have reached out via LinkedIn, uh, Facebook Messenger, uh, also on my website there at JaniceAllenJackson.WeeblyBet.com. I have a contact us tab uh, where you can um, uh, send me your ideas about uh, topics that we can cover in future shows. Uh, one of the things that I have have in mind that I've been thinking about for a while that I really want to pull together is uh, a show on the Augusta Housing Authority. Uh, the Housing Authority is another one of those agencies that people don't think about much, uh, but has a tremendous impact on uh, people who are in poverty, uh, has a tremendous impact on neighborhoods where Section 8 housing may be, uh, the public housing complexes that you see. Um, they also provide support to uh, complexes uh, like River Glen in East Augusta, a particular interest to me because that is in my area. Uh, so we'll have someone from the Housing Authority come on soon and uh, talk to us about the strategic decisions that they make, uh, why they make some of the decisions that they have, uh, what their plan is in place to uh, improve our community, uh, and um, how they go about 
the work that they do, the decisions that they make, how they're governed, uh, what that board is and how they make decisions. So uh, please look forward to upcoming shows on HOPE as well as the Housing Authority. And again, as I said, if you have show ideas or guest ideas, please don't hesitate to, to send those to me so that we can uh, get those uh, on the air so that you are indeed learning what you want to learn about uh, what we can do to improve our community and help you become more engaged. Thanks so much for being a part of the Local Matters family. Uh, I certainly enjoy serving you and bringing you things that are of interest and edification to you. And before we go, there is one event of community interest that I want to point out to you. Uh, we have had uh, both the president and the provost at Augusta Technical College in over the last few weeks, and they want me to make sure that I mention their gathering. This is their official celebration of their 60th anniversary. It's going to take place this coming Saturday, September 25th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Augusta Technical College main campus uh, on Deansbridge Road or off Deansbridge Road at Augusta Technical College Drive. So if you get a chance, uh, please go out and celebrate 60 years of Augusta Technical College. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net because local matters.